Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. As we always do, first thing on a Monday, we have someone in to uh, have a gander at some of the stories from the weekend today. It's the author, Ethna Shortall. Her latest book, It Could Never Happen Here, is out in paperback uh, this week. Afternoon, Ethna. Hi, good afternoon. I was going to describe you as a journalist. Are you still a journalist? Because you don't work for the Sunday Times anymore. No, I was a Sunday Times journalist for like a long time until earlier this month. So uh, I'm not very currently a journalist, but... I expect I will do bits of journalism in the future. Okay. But does that, does that mean you're raking it in from the books now at this pace <laughs> that, that you don't need it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm raking it in. Uh, no, it doesn't mean that. Uh, it means that I make a living from books and so it can be my job. But um, the, I left. I loved working in the Sunday Times as well. I was... I, um, I wrote for the culture section for years and then more recently I wrote for their home section it's like lifestyle features and I was editing that but um, redundancy came up and I'd never had the option to take redundancy before it had come up but I'd never been in the eligible cohort or whatever mm. um, so I took it I'd always I always kind of said if it comes up I will take it because I can't keep doing because they're both full-time jobs like I you know writing uh, was a full-time job is still one and journalism was was like officially a full-time job yeah. like I couldn't skive off um, and then I have two young kids um, like one that was just three last week and the other that was one a couple of weeks before that so they're very young and I used to be able to do two of those three jobs I used to be able to do the newspaper and books but then kids came in three jobs I had to get rid of one of them mm. kids aren't going anywhere so uh, I, what probably would have happened was I probably would have stopped writing books without choosing to do it because, just because the day job is always the more urgent thing it always needs to be done now whereas books like your 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 next deadline starts off with being a year away um, but then when the offer to take redundancy came up I I took it um, I took it straight away because um, I, like, I liked both jobs but that felt like a choice and then you get some money when you leave and mm. you know um, so yeah and like the kids is a big part of it and like you know a lot of people reassess their lives in the pandemic and there was definitely an element of that but like also on maternity leave like maternity leave is always is kind of just like a pandemic like you know you're kind of on your own <laughs> is, in yeah. the house you know you, all you do is really go to the park for walks like pushing a buggy like it, they're quite similar and you start to slow down maybe if you if you were in a high paced industry when you were working and then you slow down and maybe, yeah, you reassess and maybe it's it's kind of very basic. But um, I also just wanted to spend a bit more time with the kids when they're young and they want to hang around with me. Which uh, I know it doesn't last forever. How do you balance that then between the kids? You know, kids are so needy. The, how do you balance that between having that in writing? Time? Yeah, and they are very needy. And so, like, we still have childcare, you know. Um, I couldn't... Like it, there would be a danger, I think, when you when you do something, you know, creative and you work for yourself where the childcare would always fall to you. And me and my partner are like very equal um, in, in terms of that. And so we have three days childcare and then we half Mondays and Fridays. So like he's minding the kids now. Okay. I was minding them this morning and we do the same thing on Friday. And then, yeah, work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So they and they're like short enough days you know like I feel for people that put their kids in the crash and then have to commute and then they're racing to get home before the crash is closed and so thankfully we don't have that whereas I would have had that you know sometimes um, So on your working days uh, book working days book I mean, working days yeah um, Are you very disciplined? 
Uh, my partner would say I'm very disciplined because I'm more disciplined than him. I like he thinks I'm judging him when I can hear him downstairs making another coffee, but yeah. um, he doesn't know that I'm you know uh, obsessively falling into an internet hole looking someone up. Um, but I am no, I guess I am disciplined. Like journalism does teach discipline because as I've yeah. learned, book publishing deadlines are actually a bit movable. Like when they say it's due, they kind of mean if you give it to them two months later it'll still be alright you know whereas in journalism you don't get that kind of leeway and so I am like I set a word count at the moment because I'm doing a first draft trying to get 2,000 words out because that's too many words to be a thinking of, yeah a day there's too many words to be thinking about what you're writing you know mm. I, like when I first started writing books I um, wrote and revised as I went and you'd get bogged down you'd be changing commas here and there and really they don't matter so uh, so like I'm, I must get the 2,000 words down and if I don't get them done I do it when the kids go to bed and I really don't want to do that because I'm exhausted by then you know and have you pl- have you plotted it out much in advance like it, yeah. it, 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 it could never happen there is kind of had been described as very twisty you know yeah. are, like have, is all that kind of mechanically put down or do, do you reverse engine do you start at the end and work backwards it depends on the book like I, I'd love an answer for that because I love listening to other authors and how they write and, and my favourite ones are the ones that do the same thing every time but um, generally I like have a plot and it might just be four plot points that happen and then I start working and this is what's happening with the book I'm currently writing and then I get like third of the way in and I freak out that like I've gone off on a tangent and it doesn't work and then I get out the post-it notes like that's usually a sign that things aren't going well I've got all these different multicoloured post-it notes and I put them on a wall and plot everything out because the books do have twists and I want them to be unexpected and stuff so they need to happen at the right intervals with It Could Never Happen Here that was that's my most plot focused book it was very convoluted the post-it notes were regularly out they would be all over the floor and at that time I was writing in the room that the changing table was in and I was like yeah, to my partner you cannot change the baby in here take the mat out you know because if he stood on one I'd be like well it's all rude um, so yeah I definitely use the post-it notes but uh, yeah I have a vague plot and then I get more specific but of course it changes like you'd be writing my favourite part of writing is when you get to the point in a book where you kind of believe these characters are real and you can't fully decide anymore what they do. It's kind of annoying for plot but it's very satisfying that you hope that if you believe in them the reader will believe in them. So sometimes what I might have intended to happen or for a character to do will change. You know. Because it's, yeah, because if you, if you want to introduce a red herring you might reach a point and go no, they yeah. would never do that. They would never and do that. Their reader is going to throw the book at the wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I do sometimes when I'm reading, so I'm aware of that. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But sometimes, yeah, that thing about starting at the end, like, but it could never happen here. I knew, like, because it starts with a body in a river, and, and we don't know whose the body is, but I knew who that would be, you know, yeah. and why. So, but in in the middle, that changed as I went. Yeah. And so do you, have you, do you read a lot of books? Yes, I read more before those damn children. Um, But I do, yeah, I do read. It's the, like, the thing I consume most. Like, I used to be a culture journalist. And so, like, obviously when I was, I reviewed plays at one stage and I would see 100 plays a year. Like, now obviously the pandemic changes things. But I would say currently if I see three plays a year, I'm probably doing well because it's much harder to Mm. go out in the evenings. It can be done, but it, that, that time is so precious and it takes loads of planning. But books... They can be done whenever, like they can be read whenever. So yeah, I read, I read a lot. Yeah, yeah but are you reading it with an eye on, ooh, look I know, what they did there. I know, that's very annoying. That's when I, my absolute favourite books, you know, of any like reading experience is when I don't see the thing coming because it annoys me about myself. If, I, if I'm in the middle of a first draft, like now, I'm thinking all about plot and twists and stuff. So if I'm reading any book, I'm like, guessing everyone's a murderer from the beginning and no one's even going to get murdered. <laughs> like I'm, like I become paranoid, you know, Um 
but and I, and my my partner like sometimes he gets annoyed watching films or TV shows with me because I like I'm good, pretty good at guessing. Oh, who you, it oh! Is. I live with somebody who does exactly <laughs> ruins has ruined so many series yeah, he's like, and just films. Just keep it to yourself. Yeah, <laughs> that's the worst. Uh, somebody texts in to say, "I hear everything Ethna says. Our crash that used to allow us collect up until six thirty." Now closes at 5.15. It's a nightmare trying to race home. Uh, we've asked, can they extend it uh, even till 5.45 now that many of us are back working in the building more? But they're refusing. And do I need to tell you that the fees haven't reduced, even though we lost more than an hour of childcare? Well, uh, indeed not. Well, I, and is cost of living is something that's impacting you? Is that something you're yes, very it, mindful of? It impacts everyone, right? And like we were just talking before this, we have um, a, a red brick house. And I, when I was buying a house, I was obsessive about it. I wanted a red brick house because they look nice, you know? And I was like, this is great. This is what I want. But then you like, <laughs> you have one and you get to winter and you're like, oh no, this isn't good. Yes. So when I see that like <laughs> fuel costs are going up, I'm like, all right, well, our house like it needs it, you know. We don't have um, we don't have the kind of modern uh, installation ins- insulation, which I which I wish we did. But like, of course, everyone's everyone is um, concerned about it, and yes, it affects me absolutely. It affects everyone. Uh, but I think there's something in me where, like, if I if there's any article about inflation or the cost of living, I read it. If there's if I'm like looking for a podcast to listen to and I'm listening back to shows, I'll always listen to one about inflation or the cost of living. Why? Like, I know it exists. I know it exists from going to the supermarket, but it's like I scaremonger myself or something, you know. <laughs> like, I, I, so yeah. So one of the articles I chose and I, I was looking at stories over the weekend. Like, there, obviously, there was a lot across the papers about inflation, but the um, Sunday Times had one. Um, were they talking to experts? Because like, if it's just a random journalist, you know, talking head and they're speculating, that's fine. But when like I see economist and it's a name I respect, and they're they're predicting something terrible might happen, I I am afeard. So the one, um, the Sunday Times one had Dan O'Brien, the economist, and he had a few things. Like one, um, he was saying that like Ireland gets less than a third of its gas from Carib, and that the rest is coming through pipes coming pipelines coming in from the UK. And he was saying that like if 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 um relations over the Northern Ireland Protocol get continue to deteriorate and get much worse, he can see that you would threaten to or indeed would cut off the pipeline. Like that's just like to me yeah. that's like Cold War stuff, you know. Um and that's terrifying. Um but also he let me see next I, I circled a few things that terrified me. That was just one of them. Um yeah but the idea of uh, that people would be asked to work from home where possible so that businesses could reduce their energy uses. But like sure then, you know, people are just going to pay for the increase themselves. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they're going to be paying for it because they're going to be at home all day and they need the heating on. Although I, I was thinking about this last night. I was like, right, when the kids are at creche, we could probably do without the heating. You know, I like I actually do have those fingerless gloves so they might you know, work on the, the oh keyboard. God. Yeah, I know, I know. But it was like when I read enough of this stuff, I guess like I start making all these mad plans. But um, and then also the possibility the businesses may not open in the winter months like small businesses where it would cost so much for like a small restaurant or a pub to heat and gas and electricity and all that that maybe they just it wouldn't be worthwhile that was also Donna Bryan Well a lot of this is speculation though at the same time now I mean there's a real world effect on the streets right now we're going to be talking to a woman later on the show who runs a food bank and the amount of money that people looking for uh, help has increased plus also you know she's starting to get abuse from people who are kind of desperate Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know, like, if I go to the supermarket, I see it, you know. And, you know, Tesco has done this thing now where 
what used to be just their special offers you now can't get unless you have your club card and loads of people stop carrying wallets and physical money, Mm. you know, during the pandemic and I'm the same. And so often I just bring my card and then I'm like, well, now I can't get any of these special offers and everything's so dear and they're very clever what they've done. But um, anyway, through that, I like notice hugely like the impact on, on just on buying groceries. But you are right, like it is speculation. I mean, it's not speculation that energy prices have gone up a lot already. So, but it is speculation like these like terrible situations of cutting off pipelines or, you know, blackouts or whatever. But that's, and I'm saying I'm my own worst enemy with that stuff. You know, I'm always like, I'm, I'm scaring myself. And this is when I'm like, you just don't read the news section. Just read the supplements, <laughs> read the supplements. You know? yeah. Now, I, uh, I was actually on holidays with somebody and found out that she couldn't swim. Uh, and not somebody I live with, but I was, I was like surprised. An adult. Yeah, an adult. And what was her... What was her reasoning? Just never learned. Mm. Yeah. Well, my, and then that's a quarter of people. That's astounding. Yeah, this study. The study is like three years old, which isn't that long ago. And they, it's over 100,000 people. How many was it? 125,000 people. So it's a good sample of in Ireland, of Irish like people in Ireland. And they found that uh, a quarter of them couldn't swim. Like I was just so surprised by that. And there was a more recent study, a smaller, I think it was a thousand people and it was a similar um, proportion. And like it, this story was across or this survey sorry, was across the EU and we were one of the worst and lowest uptake for swimming and it, we were an island and we That's had mad. many yeah. rivers and yeah. lakes and you know like I was very surprised but then um, when I read a bit more about it and uh, they were saying well there was many things but um, I, I guess maybe there's a historical thing like if people didn't live near swimming pools and I still don't feel like we have enough swimming pools the that are like publicly accessible swimming pools. The um, the article I read about it was talking about swimming lessons, like in, that they can't, they don't have enough lessons to meet the demand. Um, and like some of the swimming coaches have left during the pandemic as a lot of sectors, people left jobs and there's a shortage there. But like a big thing seems to be access to pools. Um, and actually I saw... Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, um, she's a news editor in The Examiner. Yeah. She was tweeting a few days ago about that she was, it was like early and she was queuing up outside a pool to register her, ch- her kid for um, swimming lessons. And that like the last two years she had missed out in places and the queue was like a Ticketmaster queue, you know, back in the day. That's when everyone said, Yeah, that there just isn't enough. And like I've noticed because my kids are too young probably to learn to swim. Well, maybe someone will disagree, but I assume they are. Um, but I just wanted to bring them swimming to get used to the pool and like there aren't pools near us like our nearest pool never reopened after the pandemic um, and they're just like they're really the article mm. says they're a lot more on the south side of the city than on the north side of the city where I live um, so yeah I just I, I'm, I guess I'm not uh, when I think about it, I'm not overly surprised. Also, there's a backlog of swimming lessons from the past two years, like I guess the pandemic when people okay, weren't yeah, able to do yeah. weren't allowed to do it, that's true. Yeah. yeah, but for adults, like why adults haven't learned is is interesting. Like my dad didn't learn until he came to Dublin, but he's from the Midlands and they didn't have a pool near them. Um, so he didn't learn until he was an adult. But yeah, I, I'd be interested to know the reasonings for adults not learning to swim. I suppose maybe kind of you feel like it's a point of no return where you're embarrassed to ask. Yeah, maybe like like if you say. get to being an adult and you haven't learned how to ride a bike, like it's yeah, probably hard yeah. to go and do it then. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, there's an app for the Tesco Club card, so you don't need the actual card. But I don't bring my phone. I just li- I live around the corner from Tesco. I bring my card and my keys and then, yeah. So anyway, but now I bring my wallet. Yeah, because apparently if you take a photo of the card, they will scan that. Oh, 
They still have you me. Still they have bring, me you still have to bring. You still have to bring the. Uh, yeah. You can also I'll go to instead though. You can go to the new Moore Street Market. Now this is a market that opens till ten o'clock at night. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, and it's starting next month. Like so, I guess in a few days. Um, yeah, it's um, like obviously Moore Street has been or was like renowned for its market, and there is still a market there, but it's a lot smaller than it used to be. Um, and a lot of the street just is, you know, not in good shape. Like it's a lot of litter and just doesn't have the vibrancy that it had 20 years ago. So the council has a plan for a new market that will be ethnically diverse and will be kind of food focused. Um, and yeah, it's going to open Thursday to Sunday from I think half nine in the morning until 10 at night. Um, yeah, so it sounds great. Like I often yeah. feel like Dublin is sometimes reaches the point of no return like obviously the pandemic was tough on it and sometimes I feel like the people that make decisions about the city don't love the city Um, and so I just I'm delighted when I read anything where someone has a plan or is going to try something new and you know also like it makes you know Henry Street functions um, it's a retail um, location and at around six o'clock it's kind of over so it's great to have something to yeah, give it it's a, true. A, yeah. a purpose beyond that, you know, like that that it can be both. And so like, yeah, I will go. Yeah. Um, and I hope it will I hope it will do well. As long uh, as you can also get five sheets of the wrapping paper there as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, take, yeah, and you your know, phone ab- fixed. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. the uh, the nature of it too. Um Finally, actually, we won't mention Andrew Tate because why give him the yeah, so Okay, fair enough. Yeah, There's yeah, a yeah. horrible person called Andrew Tate. That's all you need to know. Louise O'Neill had a column yesterday in the time where she was basically saying that, well, was she saying drugs should be legalised? Um, I mean, I think so. Yeah, she's saying that like uh, prohibition doesn't work. And so I guess legalising drugs um, needs to be something that we seriously consider. Um, and they, their kind of starting point was um, the Finnish Prime Minister Sanna yeah. Marin and this this idea that was she taking drugs in the video in this video that was on social media, and she did a drug test to prove that she wasn't and no she wasn't. And Louise kind of starts with the question of like would it be the worst thing and is there a lot of hypocrisy around drug use and um, I guess the legalization of drugs like I, I'm always interested in that topic and I don't actually think it's talked about a lot. Um, for the size of the problem that drugs uh, the drugs have mm. uh, caused in Ireland and, and every other country. Um, but I guess it's something that I used to think, I used to be, like if you'd asked me a few years ago, I would have been, no, you shouldn't legalise drugs. They have a terrible effect and no, you shouldn't. But now I would lean more towards we should or at least, because I don't know enough about it, I would like to hear more people talking about it. Like I have listened to some and read some articles of people that are like working with youths in like like certain parts of the inner city or whatever, where there's there's a huge knock on effect of the problematic um nature of drugs and like there are people there that advocate for the legalising of it. Now I don't think it's something Ireland uh, will do but I definitely think it's it's something that is worth considering because the current situation doesn't work like and I think a lot of Ireland's addiction problems again were on view during the pandemic because you know in the city centre and um, there wasn't you know the office workers and the shoppers to mask it and there's no denying the scale of it. Um, uh, but and, and that's really, that's kind of a homeless person who you might assume, and, and they may or may not have a drug issue at all. They, they, like, 
that probably the vast bulk of drugs being taken and being taken at the weekend by, you know, office workers who live on the south side. Absolutely, kind of thing, yeah. And own red brick houses like you. Exactly. Well, that's it. And like, so the people say the problem is people that become addicted and are made homeless or maybe not. They're living with their families, but they're causing huge problems for their families. And they're, that's what, that's what we see as the like most extreme problem. But that's not actually what feeds drugs. That's not what, what keeps the drug trade going. It is middle class people in their 20s and 30s and I'm sure up to whatever age that buy cocaine or whatever and they take it on a Saturday night when they're out and then they think because they're themselves not addicted this isn't a problem and it's recreational but I think it's hard to square that with like you can't say isn't it terrible that that all these people are addicted and you know uh, that this might lead to crime or homelessness or it's causing really big problems for their families if you are supporting that because if you're buying drugs in Ireland you are probably giving you're probably giving money to the Kinahan cartel yeah you know like ultimately and so you are feeding that and if there wasn't the demand from middle class people for those drugs there wouldn't be enough demand for the size of the drug trade in Ireland at the mm. moment, you know. Um, and so I actually think like that's where the responsibility lies with, with, with people like me. Yeah. Ethna, thanks a million for coming in. Okay. I loved, I'll let you off now for the <laughs> afternoon shift. Uh, it was uh, Edna Shortall there. It could never happen here, uh, available in paperback this week. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to uh, uh, take a bit of a break. After, oh, no, we won't. Before that, we'll do the cash machine. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.